Uh, Father Mike, thanks for coming back on. I really appreciate your, uh, your taking some time to be with me. Father Mike is the pastor of Our Lady of the Gulf in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Um, the folks that uh, heard you uh, in our previous interview enjoyed you very much, very struck by the conversation and what uh, insights that you brought. And they're like, have Father Mike on again. So thanks for saying yes to that. Yes. And again, it really truly is a privilege. I Obviously, I love the Lord. I love the church. And, and to talk about it for, for a while with a, a brother in Christ is, is, a, is a privilege. Amen. Well, let's let's start talking. So first things first, Father Mike, I'm now talking to you in the Lenten season. And so how's this Lent going for you? How are your own uh, efforts to pray fast and, and give alms and following the Lord into the desert? What's that journey like for you this year? Is there something distinctive about it? Anything showing up? Uh, well, you know, um, I want to say kind of almost out, what I'm not doing, okay? Because the last three years, I've kind of dove into Exodus 90, okay? Mm -hmm. And I don't know how familiar you are with that, but it's a fairly rigorous uh, Lenten program. And this year, um, more so than the last couple of years, I've said, oh, well, I'm going to do my own Exodus 90. I've done the whole thing, and I felt like it was fruitful for me. And now taking some of the lessons from that. But in general, you know, challenging, but doable. I remember a little story from seminary time where a guy overdid it and he literally passed out during the liturgy. And, uh, and you know, that has always kind of served as a, as a sort of lesson, but at the same time to be stretched. And, and so, yeah, it's stretching me a bit and, uh, and getting up a little earlier and trying to pray a little more and, um, and be a little more deliberate about some of the other uh, disciplines in life. But yeah, I will just say this, go on and on, I'm sorry. Lent is my favorite liturgical season. Mm -hmm. And and I really sincerely believe this, um, that it is a season of grace, that it is a time where there is a special capacity to, to grow with a kind of collective uh, repentance and a collective deepening sense of prayer. And, and that has been my personal experience. And I think I've seen that. So, uh, um, so it's been a good Lent so far and I pray it continues to be. Well, I want to go back to that story. Cause I think I've only passed out like six or seven Lents myself from the, <laughs> you know, severity of the penances I've been choosing for myself. Um, boy, I wish more Catholics would be passing out during the liturgy <laughs> yeah. as a result of overdoing it. Uh, yeah. Sadly, I think it's a matter of us underdoing it rather yeah. than overdoing it. But to pick up on your point, Father Mike, it's a season of grace, a, a beautiful opportunity where the Lord is saying, you know, it's the well, it's the second reading from Ash Wednesday, right? Second Corinthians five. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't don't receive the grace of God in vain. Yes. Right. And this Lent, we don't want to let this grace pass us by. Um, and it's actually my favorite season as well. Um, and it's my favorite season because I get to feel like day to day that being Catholic, it impacts me, right? It's like, oh, I'm restraining myself from this. I'm extending myself to this. And it's only because of my relationship with the Lord and following him into the desert. Like he's He's inspiring me to, to go the extra mile and he's doing so on behalf of my on my faith, on behalf of my relationship with him. And, and, you know, a couple things, you know, the ends and the means, you know, our fasting and our prayer, and even our giving is 
is not necessarily the end. It's a means to an end. And that end is detachment and self-control and a focus on God and a hope in eternal life. Um, so that reality that it is a special season of grace um, and kind of getting in touch with where are we going? You know, where are we going in the in the grand scheme of things? That's hard to focus on 365 days a year, but a little easier when we dive into the Lenten season to kind of refocus ourselves. Um, so, you know, uh, I'll say this. You said a daily, a daily, daily, you know, daily. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, it's not infrequent for a priest to hear a confession along these lines. You know, I forgot it was Lent. I forgot and I ate meat. I forgot this or that. And I'm like, listen. If you're forgetting that it's Lent at all, you're not doing enough, okay? <laughs> that, we, that, that we should not forget that it's Lent. It really shouldn't be kind of in our face, you know? Uh, and again, I'm speaking as a priest, not as a teenager, you know? But at the same time, um, you know, I would encourage the people out and, and who may be hearing, you know, if you're forgetting on Friday that it's Lent, then, then maybe you want to evaluate the daily disciplines that you're doing. I like that, Father Mike. And um, when you talk about this idea that Lent is a moment of grace, um, I think that is, um, it's one of those things where the Lord uses a moment in time to provide like special insight into what is present all of the time, right? Like um, to extrapolate, um, here we are in this season of grace and we don't want to miss the moment. Well, isn't it also true that our whole lives are a moment of grace because the Lord intended, willed, destined us to be alive and planted in this moment, in this place for his purpose. And we don't want to miss the grace of this moment. Sometimes it's easy and wonderful to receive. Other times it's going to be hard to receive. But the wider call that we have as Catholic Christians is to become saints fulfilling our God-given mission. There it is. That's my identity and my purpose is to become more profoundly, so profoundly in union with the Lord that I'm radiating his glory. And it's manifested by my fulfillment of his, the mission for which he planted me here on earth to fulfill. So I, I just, I love that idea. What do you, I mean, what do you think about that? I, I couldn't agree more. And when we think about eternity, our entire life is a moment. I mean, our entire life is, you know, I like to think of the 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 the, the um, sand on the seashore. It's so infinitesimally small in the grand scheme of things. But you know, because of concupiscence, because of the weakness of our will, we need special seasons to kind of highlight our capacity to pay attention. Because our attention span is not 365. You know. 365 days a year. And so to kind of have a special focus and uh, on the eternal graces that are particularly uh, we're called to uh, in this, in this season. And, and, you know, I I try to, I try to think about how we can um, expand Lent into our entire year by making sure that we have a reasonable um, act of, of discipline and penance every Friday of the year. 
you know, because that's still canon law. That's still, it's not universally prescribed, no meat on Friday, but every Friday is a little Lent, just like every Sunday is a little Easter. And so, uh, but this particular uh, season of Lent, a season of grace, a time that we're having a conversation like this, whereas, you know, in July or August, it, it, you know, it wouldn't be so ripe to be speaking about penance and speaking about taking it up a notch in a, a special time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard it was a priest who said that, I don't know if this was like a traditional understanding that Lent was a tithe, right? It's like a 10th of the year. And uh, like the old, like if you go back centuries, the custom was to um, actually fast for all 40 days of Lent. Yeah. Um, and so it was, you know, no food until sundown. And so to talk about upping your game, right? No meat yeah. for the entirety of Lent, right? Right. And so I feel like a wimp when I read about these reports yeah. from earlier in the church history that, you know, these folks, they were enduring things. And, right. and we're just like, we're marshmallows. Yeah, we are. But, you know, there's a beautiful thing, Tom, on the other side of that coin, because it really is a two sided coin, is when it's done under the weight of obligation, the burden has been, a, if you will, placed you know, and it's done and it could be done with a freedom of spirit. It could be even under obligation. But you and I, there's there's nobody telling us we can't. That we're not allowed to do that. We can still do that. And I think that there is something beautiful about that is that even though there's no obligation for us to, let's say, fast from meat the entire time, you know, uh, we, we still can choose to do that. And uh, and so therein, that I think was supposed to be the genius. And again, thinking about fallen human nature and how things are com com communicated, the the idea behind lifting, leaving it up to the particular conferences of bishops. What is your Friday penance going to be? And uh, doing away with a universal no meat was supposed to give you and I the opportunity to pick our own penances. Well, unfortunately, that has been just completely and utterly forgotten. Yeah. And uh and and so nobody knows. But yeah, the tithe and the obligation and and kind of a I read a kind uh, to continue your point, um a spiritual like um an annual spiritual calendar of even just a century ago, kind of Catholics and the daily and the monthly and the annual things that, that would have been a normal part of the spiritual life. Uh, even the Angelus every day, you know, um, would be just things that are just forgotten. And that's the, that's the sad thing about modernity is we've just forgotten our Catholic heritage. And, uh, and it is being reclaimed in places. Mm -hmm. Quite, it has to be done through work and quite deliberately. Because, you know, I used to say that uh, it was in mother's milk. You know, your Catholicism, your faith was in your mother's milk. It just was in the house, mm -hmm. and, and it just isn't that way anymore. You know, yeah. it just isn't. You know. Well, it, it you know, you're bringing up like really how much is at stake in this, right? So. Uh, let's 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 ask one more probing question around penance here, 
and then we'll move on to theology of the body uh, and, and what's at stake in this Elijah moment. So there's some kind of cool themes there. Uh, again, I'm talking with Father Mike O'Connor. He is the pastor of Our Lady of the Gulf Catholic Church in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Father Mike, joining me today. I'm really appreciating the time that you're taking here. So, Father, studying theology, you might remember that So after Trent, theology was taught in seminaries in treatises. So you had, you know, the treatise God is one taught with the treatise God is three and a treatise on faith with re, uh, with reason. And um, there was a treatise on mystical theology. And that treatise was associated with the treatise on ascetical theology. And the idea was these go hand in hand. Just like you won't understand God is one if you don't also understand God is three. You won't understand faith without reason. You won't understand or grow in the mystical life if you set aside or diminish or, or neglect the ascetical life. And so I wonder if there aren't more mystics in our time because there aren't more ascetics in our time. Hmm. That's a, that's um, a rich thought. And I, I have it. I can't say that I've spent a lot of time pondering the connection there, but at the same time, it's it's very good. I mean, I certainly can see the connection just as soon as you as soon as you speak it, because the more emphasis we have on pleasing our body, the less likely we are to grow in this mystical grace of transcending our body and and kind of having a kind of the spiritual enlightenment that comes, you know, really by God's um, by God's election, but our cooperation as well. So what what's ailing the church today? If I said a lack of mystics, you could say a lack of ascetics uh, or, or a lack of asceticism. And, uh, and, you know, we'd both be right, right? We would both be right. In fact, you would argue, you could argue that we're saying exactly the same thing. Yeah, two sides of the coin, right? Like yes. you were talking about those two sides of the coin. And maybe that's one of the ideas of recovering something is the the good that was proposed after the Second Vatican Council that um, Catholics, if you will, we grow up and we own our faith. Uh, in addition to owning our faith or an aspect of owning our faith is owning the ascetical dimension, the aspects of mortification, the aspects of asceticism, right? Spiritual training and dying to right. self, that those yeah. are going to be part and parcel of spiritual growth. And, yeah. you know, you can't really read any of the the great uh, spiritual treasures in our tradition, like the Ascent of Mount Carmel. Good luck getting through the purgative way without realizing how much ascetical spiritual training and, and dying to self will go along with that, right? You talked about detachment. Detachment hurts. Yes. I, I, I don't like to be detached from my smartphone. I don't like to be detached from warm showers. I don't like to be detached from giving up sweets and, and the things that Lent requires. But, you know, that gift is it's going to help us be more tuned to higher goods, to, to God right. and, and to the goods of, of the interior life. Right. And it's, it is, you know, um, it's kind of like you don't like to give up your cell phone. You don't like 
to uh, take a cold shower. You don't like to feel a hunger in your in your stomach. But at the same time, I would say that anybody that has experienced those things for the Lord and has kind of journeyed through would recognize they like who they are better, you know, that they like who they become, you know, and balancing that uh, that that sense of God is pleased with me, at least in this area of my life, you know, as children of our heavenly father, we want to be pleasing to our father. And and so it's mysterious, isn't it, that a cold shower could do that or being hungry could do that. But that's part of the economy. And we only know that by faith. We will only know that by faith working through love. And and to love God is going to mean to deny ourselves at times. And it can be very personal. But um, so also, it, I agree. I it's agree. also very humbling, Father, I got to tell you. So, so fasting on Ash Wednesday and, and continuing on into Thursday, I sat down to record a radio program. And afterwards, my wife, Carrie, says, well, how'd it go? And I'm like, man, was I anointed? It was just so powerful. It was just like, wow. And I'm like, man, this fasting thing really works. And then it's like, why don't I do this all the time? And I'm like, eh, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. Even though... Having the experience of the like spiritual freedom, spiritual energy, this sense of like positive uh, benefits, you know, spiritually, relationally, and otherwise, and yet the the counterweight of yeah, but it's so much more comfortable and easy. Yes, it to is. give in to the flesh. Sure. That's so humbling. It is humbling, but it is humbling. But again, what would we we would quote the scripture here, you know, um, God humbles the proud uh, and he exalts the humble. And so when we are humbled by our weakness, there is something beautiful in that, even in our failure, you know, St. Paul would say, you know, we're sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We're authentic striving for holiness and fasting and and giving, and then we fail, and we can recognize our failure, and beat our breast, and call ourselves spiritual wimps. Well, there is our Father to, to to say, "Come here, son. Let me lift you up and strengthen you to do to to, to go forward." And so, I think that again, back to our theme that we're developing of two sides of the coin. You know, to be humbled by our weakness is part of the plan. You know, yeah, I don't have. Do I have to like it? Because I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know that you have to like it, but there has got to be something beautiful and attractive about it somewhere. Amen. Amen. Yes, got to be. Yes, that which is very true. So, Father, uh, again, I'm talking with Father Michael Connor. He is the pastor of uh, Our Lady of the Gulf Catholic Church in Bay St. Louis, uh, in Mississippi. Father, you have a, a YouTube channel, and uh, on there, people can access your homilies. And uh, I'll talk, I'll, I'll give that website out shortly. But one of the things that stands out in your preaching is that you love your people enough 
to speak the truth to them, even when it's hard, a hard truth to hear, and a truth once heard requires a response. It's not a comfortable communication of interesting information about a gospel story. But no, there's a, a truth there that can act not just like a spotlight, but like a laser beam and cut to the heart. And when cutting to the heart, it demands a response, even a, a, a conversion of life or a, or a stepping up and being more generous, courageous, and vigorous in living our faith. So first of all, thank you for being willing to do that because it's one of those things that I really believe that the Lord is raising up today, spiritual fathers willing to speak the truth in a way that will stir the laity to stand up, speak out, and push back those three things against the most pressing issues of our time. And so um, I want to ask you in in doing that and preparing these homilies and delivering these homilies, knowing that uh oh, this is a this is like a laser beam. This is going to be a sword that pierces the heart. Hebrews four. What's that like for you when you prepare that and deliver that? Well, first, Tom, thank you for the kind words. I wish that I would be more more laser focused at times than I am, or more often than I am, but. When it's a difficult message, um, you know, recently uh, I did, uh, I did, I did kind of wade into the whole kind of transgender question, contraception and, you know, same sex marriage all lumped together into one homily that was about 20 something minutes long. And that was, that was, I knew that this was going to be, I have got to present it in such a way that is not an apodictic kind of calling down from on high and saying, you bunch of lost sheep, but rather, can we not see the fruit? How did we get here? And to kind of examine the state of the family, examine, frankly, the insanity of teenagers changing their gender. Can we not collectively here, at least in this church, say there's something fundamentally gone wrong and to bring people around to, to, to invite them not to be condemned, but to recognize that maybe this there is something to natural law. There is something to the command of God. There is something to the wisdom of Holy Mother Church, even though it's oftentimes muted. But there is something there. And so trying to be uh, comprehensive and not um, not condemning, you know, to not condemn, but to encourage conversion and at least thoughtfulness, you know, because I don't know that I remember being told in seminary over and over again not to be. And, and again, it's a kind of seminary word. And so I apologize for using, you know, and not being apodictic to not uh, you know to not just throw down thunderbolts from on high and i remember thinking we need any more thunderbolts <laughs> we, we need we need some more of that kind of clarity but uh at the same time uh you know how is it that you keep people listening and at the same time you're presenting them 
with truths that they are hearing nowhere except for in the sacred scriptures, the teachings of the church, maybe in some Protestant camps as well, perhaps. But uh, but but oftentimes nowadays, I would like to say our Protestant brothers and sisters are embracing the culture more and more. I mean, some obviously are not, but there are those that are just kind of like, are you kidding me? You know, mm -hmm. so those big messages that are difficult in the modern age, you know, uh, obviously uh, sexual purity and contraception and same sex marriage, even divorce and remarriage you know, fornication, all of those things, transgenderism, all of those things which have become um, it, like, you know, if, if, if uh, you know, Rip Van Winkle woke up from a hundred year nap and he found, found himself in, you know, 2023, he would be certain that we had all lost our minds. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody, an atheist from, from 18, you know, uh, uh, 1923 that would wake up today and say, no, this, this isn't what we, this is not the path we wanted to go now. You know, mm -hmm. I can't imagine that anyway, but I'm sorry. I rambled a while there. No, no, my uh, father, Mike, you, you said some, like some striking things. So just for instance, um, I'm going to use the word gift and I'm going to eventually circle us around to the theology of the body, because it feels like God planted St. John Paul II in our time to be a saint for our time, delivering a message that we most needed to hear, very prophetic. And it was the theology of the body, which is rooted in the person as a gift. And so one of the senses of mission I've had in my own life as a theologian and as a speaker and et cetera, was bringing that message out in the open to Catholics. And so I can remember one time, this is going to come back to your point about contraception. I was talking about the theology of the body and as it related to, or John Paul II's gift message and the theology of the body as it related to um, marital love and how marital love ought to always be open to life. And a woman came up to me afterwards and she said, I feel like I was robbed. I feel like I was robbed because I was counseled in confession by a priest that contraception was not a sin. I was there to confess it. And it was not a sin. And I should feel fine about that if in my conscience I can do this and, uh, and live out our married love this way. And as a result, we um, narrowed our sense of openness to life and we um, limited the number of children we had. And she said, now here I am, I'm beyond childbearing age. And I feel like I was betrayed I feel like I was robbed. I feel like I was swindled because of a lie that I heard from my spiritual father who was supposed to protect me from lies that would have serious impacts. And she had such a great sadness that she had limited the number of her children mm -hmm. because of the spiritual counsel she received. And so you think, oh, contraception is just so widely accepted, but where are the voices who will speak against it and bring out, un like unmask the lie, the damaging effects, and what's at stake in it in terms of longer term picture that you're just not thinking about mom and dad when yeah. you're in the middle of, you know, raising some, some children in, in married yes. life. Um, yeah. And the idea of being, uh, being robbed back to the whole Back to our moments of grace, 
are the momentary reality of this life. You know, the the, the gift of um, participating in creation, if you will, is what husbands and wives are are, are are able to do. Nobody said any of that was easy. Okay, and 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 asceticism. Okay, and difficulty and transformation. These are all these 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 things are all related. They're all married to one another in a sense, you know. So, um, it is an unfortunate fact that uh, that that seminary formation for time, uh, and and I don't know what's happening where in different parts of the world today, but I hope that we've gotten over this. But I mean, I know I've had a priest tell me that when he was in the seminary in the in the late sixties and early seventies, he was told this teaching is going to change, and you know we can get on the forefront of it, you know, um, and he believed that for a while, and then he then he was converted, if you will, and uh, and so you know, so what do we say um, about a spiritual father who betrays? His his flock, uh, his children, um, you know, Lord have mercy. I mean, that's 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 grave. Um, you know, I go back to, uh, I think it's in the letter of James. Not many of you should be teachers. <laughs> you will be judged more harshly. I don't know if you if, if mm-hmm. you're familiar with that passage. Oh, I, I feel it deeply, Father. Let me tell you. I, I, yes, that's what that gets me. me as well. And, uh, you know, St. Paul, savage wolves will arise from your own number to mislead the flock. And so kind of being wary of the reality that uh, we have to we we have to kind of uh, check sometimes, get a second opinion, if you will, when something doesn't sound quite right to us. Now, again, I don't want to uh, uh, burden this woman and her conscience. But at the same time, I I'm, I will stop short of saying it's all his fault and the none, you know, that there is a shared responsibility there. OK, um, but obviously Jesus had his harshest words. I mean, nobody came close to getting the brunt of his um, disgust than the religious leaders who were leading the people of Israel astray. And mm-hmm. so. You know, I, I, you know, Lord have mercy on me, a sinner, as I like to say, especially when I'm thinking about, you know, who's done what right, and who's done what wrong, you know. Um, yes, she was robbed. She was robbed at least of encouragement, at right. the very least of being robbed of being encouraged. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's, it's right. You know, it's like okay, so she's not completely innocent in all of this. She could have if she listened carefully, would probably have found a voice that would have said, no, that's not right. Be open to life, et cetera. But the, you know, the, if you will, the, 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 the tidal wave was going in, in a direction and to stand right. and fight against it is difficult. Right. Oh yeah. I, I, and again, you know, I, I don't think she's going to have the same culpability. I mean, by no means. Mm-hmm. In fact, you you, you, she may even be, you know, not culpable for that, but at the same time there, even if you're not culpable, there's still consequences, right? 
That's the know, thing, right? There are there are the real she's consequences. Grieving, she's grieving the consequences. And yes. uh, whether there's a moral culpability, there's a reality that, and that she would feel cheated. I, I mean, I, I again, I do not want to in any way condemn her at all, at right. all. But at the same time, say, especially in today, in every age, let us, brothers and sisters, be aware that uh, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Amen. That's again, Father Michael Connor, who's with me today. Father Mike is the pastor of Our Lady of the Gulf in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. The website, please, to go listen to these homilies that are found and posted on YouTube. You can access them by going to the website of the church, which is olgchurch.net, as in Our Lady of the Gulf, olgchurch.net. Or just type in Our Lady of the Gulf Catholic Church in YouTube, and you'll get his channel. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. That's again, Father Mike O'Connor, who's with me today. Father Mike is the pastor of Our Lady of the Gulf in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Father Mike, I think that we, we were talking a little bit before the program and how the theology of the body of St. John Paul II is a gift that provides like real answers and guidance for Catholics today as we face crucial issues. Um, talk a little bit about that, about the the way in which the theology of the body um, offers you insights or has impacted your own sense of priesthood, especially around preaching to some of these challenging issues that you mentioned, like contraception and gay marriage and divorce and remarriage and um, and now transgenderism. The theology of the body speaks to so much. I'd love to hear your own sense of background sure. with it or or way that it impacts you. Yeah. Well, you know, John Paul II's Theology of the Body introduced to it in seminary and, uh, and you know, uh, eye-opening. We didn't get a huge diet of it, but we got enough of it. Okay. And then um, when I was uh, here, we invited, uh, we, we had Christopher West, and I know there's a little controversy around Christopher West, but we brought him in and he did a fantastic job encouraging our this whole parish and people from around uh, to uh, be open to uh, the, that that seminal teaching from from John Paul II, and and then just kind of back to let's let's just look at the headlines, let's look at our families, let's see what's happening, and you know if we're going to trace it back to the root. And, and obviously, you know, we have original sin, but what's changed in our world for the worse in the last hundred years? We're, and we can go back to, you know, um, the Lambeth Conference, 1930, the first time that contraception was embraced by any really Christian, you know, uh, organization as a moral act. And, uh, and, and how the world has changed in the past 90 you know, seven years, 93, 
years. Uh, do my math, but nonetheless, um, and and the answer kept coming back to we've forgotten the sacredness of the body. We've forgotten that our body is sacred, and we didn't necessarily. John Paul II did a, a beautiful job in bringing us back to Genesis and understanding the gift that good. We were created good and nakedness in the fall and the solid, you know, the original um, justice and, and solitary man and all of those concepts. But if if we go to St. Paul and we hear St. Paul say, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, Romans 12, verse 1. Make of yourselves a living sacrifice, you know, offer your body to God, you know, that Jesus, Jesus's act of of saving us is what a bodily act. This is my body given for you. And so when I think about how how it's manifested today and granted, we're not talking about, you know, tens of millions of people today it was still a small number relatively speaking but the idea that it's celebrated that we're mutilating our bodies and, and celebrating the mutilation of our bodies and that people are having their tubes tied or the reproductive organs you know taken out and celebrating that as an act of almost a worship of the earth you know that these things are troubling and who's saying hey folks you've lost your mind you know who's saying that who even has the truth to say that in a coherent way and um so that's what that's one of the reasons that i feel like you know i have these thoughts i have to share them you know i mean i bring after i pray about this is not invented you know by John Paul II, this was, back to you say, raised up as a prophetic voice on the cusp of this collapse that the truth is there for those who want to drink of it, you know. And uh, and so I'm grateful that I can look at my own flesh and blood and think that this is a gift that I have to give to God. And the way I'm doing it is through a celibate life, through my ministry as a priest. The way husbands and wives get to give themselves away is through the marital embrace. And it's sacrificial. And it it's not sacrificial when it's pornography. It's sacrificial when it is open to that gift of life that can be rather challenging and takes discipline and takes prayer and takes fasting from the marital embrace, you know. And so... Um, and trust and and financial sacrifice and and a hundred other things that I don't have to live, okay? But I believe, but I do believe them. And I'm sorry, Tom, to go on and on, but it goes back to your point earlier about being humbled by your weakness. And there is a giant chasm of a difference between striving to live a life in the teachings of the church pure, open to life, etc., and failing, there's a chasm of difference between that and saying, no, it's okay. Mm -hmm. No sin. I don't sin. 
you know. Yeah. Well, and Father Mikey, you're, what you're getting at here is something that is so um, it's so important because um, unfortunately, so many young people and and not so young people are hearing a mess. They're hearing both messages, and it's like, okay, I was brought up with a Catholic approach to the moral life and its application in relationships, but I'm seeing on TikTok, Instagram, mainstream media. Uh, you know, most movies that you're going to encounter on Netflix and Amazon and these other streaming services are all going to present not just an alternative, but an anti-Catholic, anti-Christian, anti-theology of the body approach to these same matters. And so I think the typical Catholic is going to find themselves in a bit of discord, in a bit of a discordant situation where okay, here I am. I believe these things about purity and modesty and chastity and, and and the theology of the body. But now I'm sitting in front of a movie where the ordinary expectation in this movie is that they're going to have premarital sex and that'll be presented in a very positive way. And that you're going to have your um, sort of mandatory appearance of um, a, a, a gay couple that will once again be presented in now increasingly um, visible ways as also being romantically expressed. And um, and then if there is a presentation of a Catholic or a Christian, typically they're intolerant, bigoted, or the bad guy. And, and here we are just saying, how do we enjoy this movie when all of this is coming at us full speed? But we, we do, we kind of just sit there and just, oh, well, you know, it's just, what, what can you expect? And, and so a lot of folks are living with, let's call it a foot in both camps. Yeah. And so back to Elijah, is that what you're, you're I'm just kind of see where we're headed here, huh? Me too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's right. So when do we cut off the cable and when do we say no more of that for me and for my household, you know, and, and that's a, and that is obviously, you know, that's a question that, uh, you know, every father and mother are going to have to answer, you know, for themselves. And, and, but clearly. Um, and just father, clearly, as you're, as you're coming up with your answer here, just for the folks that are listening, you mentioned yeah. Elijah. So in first Kings 18, Ahab is finally caught up to Elijah and he's brought along 400 prophets of Baal and they're having a standoff and the people of Israel are there. And here's Elijah, the last of the prophets. And he's, he faces the people of Israel and he says a very simple but profound question. If the Lord is, how long will you straddle the issue? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. You can't live with your foot in both camps. You can't just straddle the issue. You have to make a decision. And that, especially when it's not something that we choose, it's not something that we want, it's not something that we were planning on, it's something that has come upon us, it's now being forced upon us, how do you recognize that we've come to that point in our lives that we have to make a decision? Yeah. And, and the people, however, and their response was, did not respond. They did not want to make a decision. They wanted to live in both worlds. And, and, you know, St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, I believe uh, 
is talking about the Corinthians um, not associating with uh, brothers who are only pretending to be Christian, okay? Well, they misunderstood him, and they thought, well, we can't associate with anybody who is, you know, in the world. And he says, if I, you couldn't, you couldn't associate with it, you'd have to basically, you'd have to go off to a monastery and live on a mountaintop. I mean, and, and again, I'm, I'm putting more into that story, but how do you separate yourself from this? How extensively, how far do you go? You know, and so therein lies, therein lies the question. You can, people can say, I, I have chosen. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I'll put the little scripture passage on the front door. And when you come to my house, you see it there. Okay. Joshua now, 24, 16. You see it. There it is yeah. in my house. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. And so then at the same time, you said, well, well, let's, you know, let's turn on the Disney channel and let's see what's, what's on. And then you have to say, okay, well, all right, are, is that allowed? You know, and 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 it becomes a rather entangled reality, you know. And and you know, and when I when I watch television or movies, uh, I'm I'm more sensitive to that than I used to be. You know, when I hear our Lord's name used in vain. You know, I may let it go one time, but if it's over and over again, it's like I can't I can't enjoy this. I can't I can't do this. OK, so I'll find something else to watch. If if that if I feel like like I my 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 associate, Father James, he he's got a very artistic bent to him. OK, and he would he would love to jump in on this conversation, but his perspective would be much more liberal. And when I say liberal, I mean open to the like art is art you know and we can't we can't be too you know uh what's the word um uh you know we can't be burning the books okay we can't be burning down the movie theaters and and that kind of stuff and it's like well you know so, there's got to be a line okay there's got to be a line and that line if if people come to me for counsel about you know should I be subscribed to, you know, AT&T U-verse? Should I be subscribed to this? Should I have this channel or that channel? You know, that's going to be a, that, those are difficult conversations, frankly. They are, you know. Um, now, I think the church is pretty clear about, you know, uh, um, I mean, at least the USCCB, I don't keep up with it a whole lot, had ratings of movies, morally offensive. And so if it was morally offensive, don't watch it. Well, someone had to watch it to determine if it was morally offensive. <laughs> but, you know, it gets, I guess all my stumbling and bumbling here makes me say, come fall back to the reality. That's a difficult question. Yeah. It's a difficult question. And how we live as Christians in a world that's rapidly becoming paganized and how we can speak to that world, okay, in in language that they may understand to some degree, uh, those are those are complex questions. But yeah. it's not complicated to say, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to give and I'm going to uh, I'm going to personally um, purify my life of things that I know that are distracting me or, or giving me impure thoughts or catalysts for impure thoughts. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and Father Mike, again, I'm talking with Father Mike O'Connor from, uh, he is the pastor of Our Lady of the Gulf Catholic Church in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, joining me today on the program. Again, I encourage you to go to his YouTube channel. You can just go to at Our Lady of the Gulf Catholic Church. That's the name of the channel. Or go to the website, olgchurch.net, olgchurch.net. Again, I'm talking with Father Mike O'Connor from, uh, he is the pastor of Our Lady of the Gulf Catholic Church in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, joining me today on the program. Again, I encourage you to go to his YouTube channel. You can just go to at Our Lady of the Gulf Catholic Church. That's the name of the channel. Or go to the website, olgchurch.net, olgchurch.net. Um, one I mentioned uh, when you go to that YouTube channel, we'll see you stand up, speak out, and push back against the world. And you're doing so in a way that challenges us, the ones who are listening, your own congregation, most of all, but all of us who have a chance to access it. One of the things that will happen is that um, when we realize that we have to stand up courageously and push back against things that are trying to come into our house, we also begin to realize, wait a minute, this gender ideology is something that is spreading through public schools. It's spreading through businesses. It's spreading into laws and policies around medical practices, what's permitted and what isn't. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, we can't just live even in our own home as if it's a castle that is uh, protected and set away. No, we're called to be salt, light, and leaven wow. in our world. And that means standing up, speaking out, and pushing back the way you do to us in the church. We, the laity, have to stand up, speak out, push back in our worlds. Yeah. So in the workplace, in, leg in advocating for laws and policies, in uh, in our conversations with our friends, not just remaining uncomfortably silent when people bring up something that's happening among their friend group around, uh, you know, gender transitioning and all of that. What are we doing to push back with what, what we know is the, the truly beautiful and good, uh, the, 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 the good and beautiful truth that will set people free that God's yeah. made us male and female. Right. Sure. So that's where it gets really hard father. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I mean, to, to be able to look somebody in the eye and tell them that their body is a sacred vessel, okay? And, and again, we know that by faith, okay? And faith is a gift. Uh, but when, when, when people have the kind of attitude towards life and their own life and their own body that, um, that uh, is so impoverished because there is a poverty, and this goes back to how do we make the message true and beautiful? How do we make the message true and beautiful? And therein lies the greatest challenge, because it's not an attractive message to say uh, you can't have a television. OK, People are like, <laughs> right. You know, uh, at the same time, you know, is there a grain of truth in that? Well, there might be a grain of truth in that. Yes. So how do we find a way to make the message beautiful? And that is, that is, you know, that's what I struggle with. How do we stand up, push back and speak out and draw people in? Okay. And this is one of uh, our, the bishop here in, in, in Biloxi. He's all about, and I mentioned this last time, all about 
intentional discipleship, the conversion moment, the moment of encounter with Christ, kind of the scales falling from the eyes, you know, and, you know, it's all wrapped into one message. And certainly, what is the first word of our Lord's public preaching? Repent. And who was he taking up the mantle of? John the Baptist. Repent. And how do they both die? <laughs> At the hands of people who did not want to repent. Okay. So the message of repentance and making it beautiful and attractive, trusting in the Holy Spirit, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, you know, are we at the point of martyrdom? Not yet. Okay, not yet. And and but a kind of martyrdom. If you want to be a medical student, you have to check your faith. Okay, if you want to be a politician, you have to check your faith. If you want to if you want to be on, you know, whatever sing along show, you got to check your faith. Maybe so. You know, maybe that kind of martyrdom is happening um so what are we going to do um, we're not we're going to be hopeful and we are going to recognize that we're not home and that we're going to we're going to strive to die a little bit at a time proclaiming the good news this is back to the prophetic message of john paul ii that the truth is here for those who want it and it goes back to the confessional and that very sad story about a woman who wanted the truth but was in some respects denied the truth. Okay. And it was there. Um, so. Uh, well, Father, I think kind of a, a final word as we're running out of time here is that uh, I think the idea of Lent offers us an opportunity to maybe take on an extraordinary, what would be considered an extraordinary sacrifice um, and try it out, to, you know, try it on for size, right? Like get rid of your TV. Well, how about get rid of your TV during Lent? And see what that's like. See what kind of effects it has, right? So, uh, taking on the extra during Lent could actually be quite liberating in ways that surprise us. So, right. final I, word, I, Father. My final <laughs> word is: your body is sacred. Okay, it's a gift from God, and it's a gift that is we are called to give back first and foremost to God, and that you can't outgive the giver. You know that in giving we receive. And uh, and so it's it's all generosity on God's part. And so if we could recognize the beauty of our our bodies and if we could we could make that message known to the world, uh, we, we really could be an instrument of his peace. Amen. That's Father Michael Connor joining me today on the program. Father Mike, thank you for your generosity. Thanks for your sharing today. I really appreciate it very much. Uh, could you just close and give us your blessing? Yes, of course. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you again for life and faith and hope. And we pray that we may grow in those uh, beautiful virtues and that we would all receive your blessing. And may Almighty God bless you, Tom, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Father Mike. You're welcome. Privilege again.